Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Listen, I just want to take a minute right here. Um, we're truly, truly honored um, this morning that not only did we get to have John G. Lake Ministries here Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to receive um, the training on divine healing, um, but the fact that um, general overseer of John G. Lake Ministries, Curry Blake, uh, was he invested in us all week long, but he also agreed to stay over and preach today. Anybody excited about that? I'm excited about it. We're truly, truly honored uh, for um, all the DHTs that came uh, and and supported the meeting. Um, Pastor Charles and Esther, thank you for all that you've done to to make connections and, and to just seek God. Can we let our care pastors know that we love them and appreciate them? We love you guys. Um. But it really is an honor um, to have this ministry here and to have Reverend Curry Blake, who is the general overseer of John G. Lake Ministries. And so we believe in honor around here. And let me say this real quick, because I feel like it's, it's important. Um, one of the things the Holy Spirit challenged me with, um, it's been a few years back, but the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and, and told me, Chad, you, you can have the kind of church that is both powerful and relevant. Because it's usually in circles, I'm around pastors all the time, and they either think they have to be relevant, and by that they got coffee shops and all the cool lights and all that kind of stuff, or they think you can't have any of that if you want to be powerful. But what the Holy Spirit shared with me is that there is a wineskin available that is relevant enough for anybody to want to come, but powerful enough to set anybody free. And so we're, we're working on a wineskin that is relevant where all generations want to be a part of it, but also powerful enough that the lost get saved, the sick get healed, the bound get delivered, because that is what the message of the kingdom is all about. And so I, I believe in a culture of honor today, and we, we are truly honored uh, that Reverend Curry Blake is with us. So I'm going to ask everyone, if you would, stand with me, and let's give a big God bless you to Curry Blake as he comes to share the Word of God today. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You. Uh, you, you can be seated. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, that, that welcoming, and we've felt welcomed all week. It's been awesome to be here. We've had a great time this week, and it's, it's always good when you also enjoy where you're going, and it makes it even that much easier. And I'm telling you, the, just the, the fellowship, the friendship, the just the camaraderie that we see in the church here is just amazing. And so when we walked in the door the first day, <clears throat> first off, we looked around, and I said, this is a church of excellence. 
And you can tell it by how everything's done. And so we just really appreciate pastors inviting us, having us here. Because uh, it takes a lot of work to get a conference like this set up. It takes a lot of pre-work, a lot of things going on during the week. <clears throat> and I know, <laughs> believe me, I know how busy pastors are. And so to have a conference going on, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of logistics. And so we just really appreciate you having us here this week. So thank you. Thank you very much. So, amen. Well, this morning, I wanted to take a, just a couple of minutes and share a few things with you. Um, we, everything that we've done over the last 20, 30 plus years has been geared at training and equipping believers to be able to do the works of Jesus, to manifest his spirit, to manifest his character. And so, you know, we've had to put some things together. Uh, we've had to look at the church and say what is going on in the church and what needs to change because the church, the fivefold ministry, is supposed to produce Jesus in the people. <clears throat> and especially 20 plus years ago, uh, it, you didn't see that. You didn't see people out on the streets praying for people, ministering to people, setting people free. And so we started looking at well, why not. And, and of course, I was I had some you know particular interests. My first daughter had passed away, and uh, we buried her on uh, actually on February 14th, 1981. She passed away on Friday the 13th in 1981. And so that just set me on a course of finding out why, because we prayed. We, we did everything we were taught, and we were seeing advancement, but it just didn't work fast enough. And so I had to find out why. And so we started searching and made a vow to God that if he would teach me the truth about it, then I would share it with everybody that I could. And we've done that. I, I believe he has shown us the truth about healing and about his power and how it functions and how to be able to deliver it. So really, I just wanted to share a couple of things here because we have um, seen where a lot of people have kind of a patchwork idea of things, and sometimes they don't know where they fit into God's plan. And they have, you know, they, they hear different things, and it'd be great if everybody always just heard the truth and the right stuff, but that's not always the way it is, and you get different pieces here and there. So this morning, I just want to take a few minutes, really. Well, it's going to be, well, a little over a few minutes, but I also want to be truthful, and uh, you know, don't want to have to repent afterwards. So, um, you know, But um, there's a couple of things that I want to do first, and, and that's because, as I said, everything we've done has been toward training, equipping. Uh, I don't write books, you know, for sales, that's not the thing. It's to equip, it's to train, it's to get people to understand the pieces. And you know, one of the things we've noticed is that for a few years there, books were going out of style, and everything was going digital, and it's it still is to a large degree. But here's the thing, and I've been talking with some people in the technology industry, and we were talking about the books on different devices. And they said, first off, you have to remember, you didn't buy those books. You thought you did, but you didn't. You rented them. They're leased to you. And at any point, with a flip of a switch, all the books on your devices 
can be gone. And then I started noticing some about the Bibles, and I have a Bible program on my iPhone and then also on my tablet and my iPad and computer and all that stuff. But I started noticing that some of the books that were on there had changed. And especially when you get to the different concordances and things like that in the Bible programs, you go look at a definition and you take the physical book and look at it and the definition says one thing and that book may be 10 years old, 20 years old, but then you look at the definition on the digital devices and many times the definitions are different. That they actually went in and changed the words in the dictionary of the Bible. Now, those words should be pretty solid they shouldn't be changing. And so I started noticing that. And so I started kind of sounding an alarm to Christians and telling them, don't get rid of your physical books. Hang on to your physical books. Um, there, there may come a time when that's all you have because it wouldn't take much to shut down other things. And we've seen in kind of the cancel culture, we've seen things be shut down. And so sometimes the only thing you can depend on is the actual physical thing that you can hold in your hand. So in saying that, we started printing my messages in books, and what we found out is that it's an easy way to get it to people and get them to understand it. So this morning, uh, this is our last service here, so we wanted to, there's a couple of things I want to tell you about, and I'm not trying to sell these to you. Please understand, that's not the, not the point, I don't, it's to help. This is one called Having Faith for Others. It is... A believer's expression of compassion. It means that, and it's all about just how you can have faith for other people. You can have faith for their healing. Now, you can't technically have faith and them get saved on your faith. They have to have their own faith to get saved in that sense. They have, because salvation is an act of your will. And so you have to make that decision. But we can have faith in God for you to be healed, be delivered, be set free. And we proved that this week from the scripture. But I have a book that I wrote on it uh, several years ago. And so what we want to do is I would just want to share this with you just for a minute and let you know about this. Now, this is going to seem kind of weird, I guess, but I, let me finish and you'll see what we're doing. The next one, this is called Acknowledging What is in You. This little booklet is simply scripture laid out in a way that you can read it out loud and it's personalized for you. So you just make your acknowledgments toward God. And all it is, is it says that our faith is communicated whenever we acknowledge every good thing that is in us in Christ. And so that's what this book does. It takes over 100 scriptures and just puts them in, in personal form so that you can just read them and it'll be to you. And it just activates the scripture, so to speak, in your life. And that's called acknowledging what is in you. Then we had this put together which is Healing 101. Now, this has a lot of the sacred cows in it that we talked about this week. Uh, and even in the table of contents at the beginning, it talks about Jesus said what believers can do. Uh, Jesus commanded believers what, what he commanded them to do. It proves that sickness is from the devil. It shows where Jesus healed all. Many times people think that he did not heal all, that he failed to heal some people. Uh, that's not true. We show that here in the scriptures that... Uh, Jesus or God heals through believers that we have power for divine healing in our life. And so all of these are in this 
little booklet called Healing 101. Now, this is really good for you to stick in your pocket, carry with you, read it whenever you can, get it into you. But if, you, if you're talking to somebody and they bring something up, you can also say, no, 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 well, let me show you. Right here is the scripture. And you can take them, just a little reference that you can have. Or you can pass it on. I like the little books because they're easy to pass on. And then finally is what we call Dominion Restored. Dominion Restored really is kind of the total encapsulation of our entire message. And it is, it includes the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning his death, burial, and resurrection, allowed us to enter into the kingdom. And because of that, there is a gospel of the kingdom. And his, the gospel of Jesus Christ is connected to the gospel of the kingdom. And it's all part of one, you might say. But the whole idea here is that this takes you from Genesis, literally all the way through Revelation, even though it's so small, <laughs> and shows you God's plan. And so the reason I'm telling these is because um, my staff and some people that's been helping, there they are right back there, uh, they have these books and we have some of them left over and so we're going to pass them out and give them to you. And so uh, now what we would ask is maybe one book per family or something like that. I don't know how that'll work. I know we have like a hundred of one and 200 something like that. I don't know what all the numbers are, but I just want to seed into you with these books. And so, uh, what I don't know really how we're going to do this, but if they if they're ready for them, let's. Uh, why don't y'all just spread out through there? Uh, come out, my guys, come on out and just mingle through. And whatever book you have, maybe hold up. And if somebody wants it, just give it to them. All right, so just hand it off to them. And so, any one of these four books, I, I chose these because these are. Uh, I consider them vital, but at the same time, uh, we had enough to give out a lot of them. And so we want to give these to you. And then um, as they do that, you just raise your hand and they'll give it to you, preferably just one, one book, not one of each to each family, but one book to each family because uh, I don't think we have that many for everybody. But uh, we do want everybody that wants one to get one. Amen. As the pastor has said, I have found that you just can't outgive God. And, and he says that, that it is God who gives you the power to create wealth and that God uh, blesses and that the reason he blesses us is so that we can be a blessing. And so that's one of the things that uh, we have seen, that the more we bless and the more we give out, the more God pours in and the more we're able to do, and it's just... Amazing. I'm telling you, it gets fun watching what God does and watching how he does it because you think, how is he going to do that? And then he finds the most amazing way to do it. Amen? I could tell you stories, uh, just so many just on that area alone. All right? And so, yeah, let's, let's make this quickly. Let's get the rest of them out. There we go. I've got some hands up over here. I'm going to get them down there. There you go. Now, while they are doing that, uh, if you want to, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. And what I want to share today is I want to give you that overall picture. Um, you know, in Romans, uh, actually in Romans chapter 8, Paul talked about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And he talked about the law of sin and death. 
well, where did the law of sin and death start? I mean, well, how did it kick in? Well, it started right back there in Genesis. And there's a thing about Genesis. It's a Greek name that actually means the beginning. And the thing about Genesis is this. If you want to know what something is or what it's for, the thing to do is go back to the beginning. Find out what it was created for. Find out why. Uh, if you want to know what a car is for, go back to the maker and find out what was his plan when he put it on the drawing board and started putting the things together. If it's meant to be off-road, he's going to have certain type of things added to it. If it's meant to be a luxury car, then the, he, you're not going to have off-road stuff. You're going to have more luxury stuff. So the purpose of something actually it, it, it requires certain things and it determines how something is made. And so it would behoove us to go back and look at why, what purpose was the earth created for? What purpose was man created for? What, what was the reason? You know, because if you ask most Christians, and there's truth to it, but if you ask most Christians, they will say, well, we were created to worship God. Well, we were created to glorify God. Well, yeah, there's truth to that. But if you really want to know what man was created for, you have to go back to Genesis. Because there is this thing called the law of first mention or first reference. And that means the first time in the Bible anything is mentioned, you look at what it's talking about. And from then on through the Bible, that's the reference that it goes back to. So when you see things in Genesis, like, the, saw, like the, uh, the law of sowing and reaping, well, that's first mentioned in Genesis. It's a law. The law of sin and death started in the garden. Why? When man, when God told man, if you eat of this tree, you'll die. And they ate of the tree and they died. So that's where the law of sin and death came into being. And so I want to show you some things because these, you go back to the beginning and it's amazing. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So right there, we see what man was created for. Right there. Let us make man, let him have dominion. Man was created for dominion. Why? Because God created man. He didn't create man like he did the angels. The angels uh, do not have the right to make choices. And God wanted children. He wanted family. And so he creates man, but he has to make man as much like himself as he can. See, because he already had angels. He already had robots. He already had servants that would do what he wanted them to do. But even they rebelled, but they didn't have the right to rebel, right? In, that, in the sense that uh, they, they went off on their own and therefore there was no redemption made for them. But man was created in God's image and his likeness because God wanted fellowship. And so he created man, the Bible says, just a little lower than himself. And so, now notice... So man was created to have dominion, as it says, over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the, over all the earth. Remember that, over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. In verse 27. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I could stay there a while and talk, but we'll, we'll move on. I take it that you actually believe what it says. <clears throat> he only created two. Right? Not 57. Okay? And honestly, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't matter what you identify as. After you're buried, they can come back 10 years later. They dig you up. doesn't matter what you're wearing. They're going to look at your DNA and tell you what you were. Amen. There you go. So. Right? Now, they, they, they may wonder why you were wearing what you were wearing. <laughs> but they're not going to wonder what you were. Okay? So. Now, notice in uh, verse 28, and God blessed them. And notice, every time it says God blessed them, then it says, and God said. What he said was a blessing. He didn't say, I bless you. The blessing was what he said. He didn't just say, I bless, all right? And God blessed them, and God said unto them. So here's the blessing. Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, the other verse up there said to have uh, dominion over every creeping thing. So it's awesome that we have dominion over creeps. So just remember that, right? If you ever have a problem with that, okay? So now, so can we agree that man's purpose on this earth was dominion? Is that the, the agreed upon right there, right? All right, now go with me to Psalm 115. This will answer a lot of your questions. You ever had somebody say, well, why does God allow this? Why did God let that happen? Okay, now you have to remember that there are only two races on this earth. The children of God and the children of the devil. That's it, right? Has nothing to do with skin. Has to do with heart. Has to do with nature, has to do with character, that's what it is. And there's only two, that's it. Everything else is a mere adaptation of some sort of that, if you want to use that term. And so we have man, and we know that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, from before the foundation of the world. Is that right? So that was, so you see, God has this plan. He knew how it was going to go, He knew the lamb would have to be slain, right? So he knew there was going to be a problem, and he fixed the problem before it was a problem. Now, what's that called? Wisdom. See, when you, wisdom is being able to see the problem before it happens and fix it, right? And so he fixed it even before the problem arose. And so then the rest of the time with man, God was trying to get the lamb that was slain back into the world so that he could create another race because there was only one race at that time after the fall of man, and that was children of the devil, because whoever you bow the knee to and serve, that's whose servant you are. And so when Adam and Eve bowed the knee to Satan, then that's who they served. And then at that point, they died. Now, notice they still lived physically, but their spirit became dead, meaning separation from God. It doesn't mean to cease to exist. It means separated from God. So man was separated from God, and now God is doing everything he can to work through man. And so he had to go find a man that would agree with him and work with him, right? Because God, now listen to this, God <clears throat> told man, have dominion. 
Now, most people say, well, why didn't God just come in and wipe it all out and start over? Or why didn't he stop Satan at the beginning? Okay, you have to remember, God told man, you have dominion over everything over the earth and over the, everything on the earth and everything even that, you know, crawls, flies, swims, all that stuff. So man had dominion. He should have said to the serpent in the garden, get out of here. He said, God told him to subdue the earth. And so he should have said, uh, no, stand back, Eve, let me handle this. And should have just cast that thing right on out. But it, he didn't. So man fell. And God knew he wasn't going to do it. So he made provision beforehand. So then man falls. When he falls, he dies in his spirit. So now God, now, now get this. I'll go ahead and go to Psalm 115. And in verse 13, it says, He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. But now look at verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Now, see, this answers the question of why God doesn't just come in on the scene and just do whatever, you know, should be done. Why? Because the earth he gave to man. And see, we may take that a light thing, but when God says something, he can't alter the thing that came out of his mouth. So now he made the heavens, the earth, he made the earth, but then he gave the earth to Adam, to man. Then, now notice... Satan comes into the garden, the serpent, and he convinces man to bow his knee to him. And at that point, now, why, why would he want that? Because at that point, see, if you get the head, then everything the head's over, you get too. So if Satan could convince Adam and Eve to bow their knee to him, then automatically everything they had oversight of would be under his control. So he went straight for the head, got the head to bow the knee to him, and so the earth God had given to man, so whenever Satan got man to bow his knee to him, now the earth became Satan's. Now it was still man's, but now man's nature and character had changed to be like that of his new God, which was Satan. And so now the earth... Now Satan had a lot of control over the earth because man had control and God now is on the outside. Whereas man was supposed to be working with God and executing God's will on the earth, now man, because of a different nature and because he switched lords, you would say, now he has to, he, he literally rules the earth and Satan can rule the earth through man, right? That's why you'll see sometimes different wording. You'll see the earth and then you'll see the world, the earth always refers to the, 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 the dirt, the mountains, the streams, all that kind of stuff. But when it says the world, you have to look up the word because the word usually means the system of how the world runs, which is what? Satanic. And so now Adam has bowed the knee to Satan. Satan is now giving commands. And he doesn't really have to command Adam to do much because now Adam's nature is different and he does the nature of his father, which is Satan. And so man starts a quick descent. Now, but notice he said, now, now do you believe these scriptures? Yes. 
that God gave, that God, the heavens are his, but the earth he gave to man. Is that right? Yes. All right. Now, and we know, okay, uh, that, as I just said, that Adam bowed the knee. So now the earth technically belongs to Satan by way of Adam. Can we agree with that? Right? Now watch. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Paul says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now notice, in verse 4, in whom the God of this world. Now that's obviously not our Heavenly Father. Why? Because He's not blinding anybody's eyes to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So obviously here we are talking about Satan, which the Bible calls the God of this world. Now, now think about that. So Satan was trying to supplant God in heaven. It didn't work. So now he comes to earth and tries to supplant God's rule over the earth by going through man, and it worked for him in that, in that sense. But now watch. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. Notice it just said, uh, in whom the God of this world. Well, when did Satan become the God of this world? So we're just going to look at this. It says in verse 1, Luke 4, verse 1, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Notice the devil always attacks when you're at your weakest, and he tries to bring the thing that you think might alleviate your weakness. But notice also what he attacked with. If you're the son of God. Notice the devil's first, and you'll see this always, the devil always tries to attack you in the area of identity. He will always try, if you're the son of God. I mean, how many times, don't raise your hand, but how many times if somebody said, I thought you were a Christian. I can't believe you did something like that. I can't, see, what is that? That's the devil testing you to see if you know who you are. Right? Oh, I, I can't believe you did that. I just I thought you were a Christian. What is he doing? He is attacking your identity. And he wants to get you to see yourself differently than God sees you. And he'll try to get you to back down. But now notice, it says, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written. That's how you win against the devil every time. That's what Jesus used every time. That's what you're going to have to use every time. All you have to do is, before you can say it is written, uh, you've got to know it's written, which means you've got to spend some time in the Word. Amen? But whenever the devil comes around, just get it ready, right? Just have it ready. It is written. And know where it's written, okay? <clears throat> and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, now watch, the devil switches tactics. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All the kingdoms of the world. Okay? And the devil said unto him, All this power, all of the authority over these things that you see, all these kingdoms, all the authority over these kingdoms, will I give you 
And watch this. And the glory of them. So what's he hitting on? Ego. Right? I'll give you all this power. I'll give you the authority over these things. And all the glory of them will be yours. But now watch what he says. For that, this, what, what you're looking at, the, all these kingdoms of the world, watch, that is delivered unto me. So Satan is telling him, all these things, all these kingdoms were delivered to me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now notice that. What's he saying? He said, all of this is mine. Why? And he said, I can give it to whoever I want to. It was given to me, and I can give it to you. And so when he said, people say, well, no, that's not true. See, the devil was lying. No, if he wasn't lying. Now listen, if the devil was lying, then that wasn't a true temptation. But it says that Jesus was being tempted by the devil on all these things and that he was tempted in every area just like us. And so here he is uh, having to defeat the temptation against his ego, right? And so we know it's true that the, the, the world was delivered to Satan. When was it delivered? When did he become the God of this world? In the garden. At that point, he was seen as the God of this world. Now, there were other demons and spirits and things like that that were involved in the fall of Satan and that are his underlings, you might say. And the thing is, these are the gods, these, are these demons, these fallen angels and these demons, as we would call them, are the gods of the Amorites, the god of the Canaanites. They were the gods that the children of Israel were always fighting against. I'll tell you this, they're also the gods of Greek mythology. Zeus and Jupiter and all these different ones. And so they, these gods that they had, that's, now you have to realize that God said, you shall have no other gods before me. So if there were no other gods, you couldn't have another god. That makes sense? But we know that these, and Paul said, we know that these gods were not gods. Why? Because they were actually demons. Paul says that. And so they weren't gods, but you can make anything a god if you serve it. Whatever you serve, that becomes your god. And it doesn't have to be a spirit being. It could be a boat. It could be a piece of leather shaped in a strange way. You can make anything a god. Isn't that right? Yes. You're awful quiet. <laughs> So now, but he said to have no other gods before him. So now notice, let's keep going. And he says, this is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Thou therefore will worship me. If you will worship me, then all will be yours. And of course, Jesus said, it is written. You're not going to worship anything but God. Isn't that right? So every time Jesus was tempted, he answered, it is written. Now, so, so far we've got Adam being put over this world. Now look, just bear with me for a minute. If Satan became the God of this world, whenever Adam handed the world over to him, who was the God of this world before it was handed to Satan? Adam. Exactly. Why? Now, see, in this terminology, God doesn't mean a supreme being or self-existent. It doesn't mean that. It means the highest authority at the time. Right? So, in that sense, Adam was God of this world. Why? He had been given authority. And as a matter of fact, uh, God even told Moses, the people are going to look at you and you will be as God unto them. He didn't say you're going to be God. He said they're going to look at you like God because they don't know me. So when they need help, they're going to come to you and you're going to have to come to me. But because I help them when you come to me, they're going to think they're going to look at you like God and think you can answer all their problems. And so we have to look at what it means to have this term of God, right? 
Because there is one God and there's none like him. Amen? He is self-existent. He doesn't, now listen, he doesn't need us to exist. We need him. Amen? And so that's the only God in, in that sense of being truly God. Now, let's keep going. I just want to show you this picture. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written. Isn't it amazing how many times he said it is written? It must be something to that, right? It must have some force behind it. So he says, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind, now watch this, the next verse. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He just went through all this stuff, turning over tables, chasing everybody out. And now the lame and the blind come and heals them. Right? So he shifted instantly from being, as I would say, upset to instantly having compassion and healing the sick and healing the blind. Amen? So it says, And when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. So here these children are crying this out. And the Pharisees and the leaders, uh, they didn't like it. Why? Because they knew that that was a fulfillment of Scripture. Now watch, because he goes on. He says in, uh, where are we at? Yeah, in verse 16. And said unto him, so now the Pharisees, scribes, they all came to him. And they said, hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, yea, yes. Have you never read, and this is out of Psalm, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, Thou hast perfected praise. Perfected praise. Now notice, but they knew these children were quoting Scripture. And they knew the children didn't know the Scripture, so they knew it was God doing it. And they said, stop this. You need to stop this. Don't, don't, do you not hear what they're saying? And they were almost saying, these, these children, they're, they're practically blaspheming because they're applying this to you. And he said, have you not read? Have you not heard before? that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Now, these are the words of Jesus, so we know they're accurate, right? But now look, go with me to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now, this is the psalm that Jesus quoted from just now in Matthew 21. So he says, O Lord, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Here's the verse Jesus quoted. Now watch this. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Now, wait a minute. Jesus said you perfected praise. Did Jesus twist the scripture? Or did he give us the interpretation, the accurate interpretation of the scripture? Well, we know it's a second because he was the word of God made flesh. Right? But notice what he says. Out of the mouth and babes, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you have ordained strength. So now notice, Jesus said in Matthew, perfected praise. Here he says, you've ordained strength, which is right, both. Why? Because when you have perfected praise, in other words, whenever you are doing praise truly out of your heart, strength is released 
and ordained on your behalf. Praise is not just words. Praise is going up to God and God says, I'm releasing, I'm ordaining strength. Why? Notice why. Because of your enemies. Nick, watch this. Because of your enemies, why? That you might still stop, bring to a halt the enemy and the avenger. So what does praise from the heart do? It stops the enemy and the avenger. You say, well, isn't an avenger an enemy? Well, you say, well, yeah, but it's a different type of enemy. See, an enemy just attacks you for no reason. They just hate you, don't like you, and they just attack you. But an avenger, see, an avenger comes to avenge. What does that mean? That means whenever you mess up, whenever you make a mistake, you do something wrong, the avenger comes to try to avenge the wrong you've done. But here Jesus just said, listen, if you will perfect praise, if you'll give praise out of your heart, I will release strength that will stop the enemy that attacks just for the sake of attacking, and I'll even stop the avenger that comes when you mess up. Amen? Now, you know, it's bad enough to have an enemy that attacks when he just wants to attack, but we can pinpoint sometimes why the avenger would come because we know when we've messed up. Amen? But he said, when you perfect praise to him, well, there's a difference between praise and worship. Okay? Worship is telling God how great he is and how awesome he is because of what he is and who he is. Praise is telling God how good he is for everything he has done, is doing, is, and is going to do. See, that's what praise does. Right? So, so how do you use praise to stop the enemy and the avenger? Well, you start to praise God and tell him, who shall I be afraid of? Just like we sang in the song. Why? I don't have to fear anything. Why? Because you're a great God. You're my protector. You always have protected me. You're protecting me now, and you're going to protect me. And you, you literally create a barrier around you that the enemy and the avenger cannot get through. Right? And that barrier through your praise is your shield of faith because that's what the enemy shoots the darts at that hits your shield of faith. And that shield of faith shall quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Amen? Amen. So you, now, here's the thing. See, there are things you don't even know the enemy's trying to do. But there's times whenever you have to use your faith and you can feel those darts hitting your shield of faith. And you know I'm under attack. But guess what? It's just hitting my faith. It ain't touching me. Amen? And your faith is there. Amen? And whenever you walk in faith, you keep that shield up. And I'm telling you, it just, it, there's, the enemy just can't get to you. There are several scriptures. I don't have time for it. But there are several scriptures that tells you how to stay protected, how to stay in the protection of God, how to never fall, how to never be unfruitful how to never be barren of producing the fruit of God in your life. There's scripture that actually tell you how to do that. And so, again, we don't have time, but I've, I've taught it before. But anyway, uh, there, God has made ways not just to get you out of trouble, but to keep you out of trouble. Amen? Now, all right, amen, amen. Now watch what he says here. Watch this. See, here's, it's amazing that Jesus quoted this verse. He said, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of your enemies that you might steal the enemy and the avenger. Then he shifts. 
And he, now, of course, Jesus isn't saying all this, but he's alluding to this. In other words, he's, he's saying this scripture here is being fulfilled. And he said he's drawing attention to what happened in this entire psalm. So he says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why, why do you even, what is, I'm looking at the heavens, I'm looking at the stars, the moon, and all these things, and I think, why are you even interested in man? Look at the glory of these things, and here's man, this puny little human, you know, whose time on earth is, you know, average 70 years, and could be longer, should be longer. But he says, what is man that you're mindful of, that you would even think about? You're God. And he said, and you created the heavens with your fingers. I mean, it didn't even require your whole hand. He, you just did these amazing things. What is man that you're mindful of him? And that, what is the son of man? Now watch this, that you visit him. He said, it's one thing, okay, what is man? He's going back to Adam, and that word there is Adam in, in the Hebrew, which means man. What is man? What is Adam? What, well, that you would be mindful of him. And what is the son of man? Well, guess who the son of man was? Everybody that came after Adam. So the son of man is everybody that came after Adam. He says, why would you even consider man? And why do you visit him? Because David had heard about how God visited Abraham, how God spoke face to face with Moses. Think about that. He said, what? You're God. And yet, here's this puny little humans that are we're like dust. And, you know, our life is a vapor. And, and yet, there's something about us that you tend to, just really be concerned about us. Now watch. He says in verse 5, For you have made him a little... Now this is King James. You have made him a little lower than the angels. But the Hebrew here for angels is Elohim, which is the word used in Genesis for God. So the scriptures technically say, you have, as he says, you have made him a little lower than God. In other words, you've, you created man just, and actually the way the Hebrew words it, you, you made man just a shade lower. In other words, God had created man as much like him as he could, but yet there was still that that was in God that wasn't in man. Why? Because God exists without us, but we can't exist without him. He upholds all things by the word of his power, by the power of his word. Amen? So you can see that. Now, now watch this. He goes on, he says, you, now watch this. This, I tell you, love the word of God. It's, it's just, so he says, you've made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. You see that? God crowned man with glory and honor. Verse six, you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, notice, he's talking about man. But now, notice, too, all things were put under Adam's feet. But then Adam gave all things away. But now, later on, you probably already know the scripture, but later on, we could actually see that the Bible says that all things have been put under Christ's feet. And yet it says, and yet we do not see all things under his feet, but all things have been put there, but we don't see them all there yet. What does that mean? That means legally, everything Jesus bought back, okay? He bought back everything that was lost, but now it was all, and, and God said, legally, everything is now under your feet. 
but we're still in a fallen world and there's still resistance even though the war is won the battle's still fighting so all things have not surrendered so all things are not technically under your feet but legally they're under your feet so now your job guess what it is to do it is to have dominion over all the earth and subdue it the same thing he told Adam in the garden now watch he goes on he says you've you've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. And then he ends by saying, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So he says he ends it the same way that he started it. But now notice here that whenever Jesus quoted Psalm 8, and starting there in verse 2, there was reference to the position of man and the glory that man had. Now, look at... Hebrews chapter 2, and now I'm going to wrap it up here. Hebrews chapter 2, and, and just so you know, um, I don't have to preach healing to get healing. You, you preach the word, God confirms his word, and you can preach what the word says and still get healing because healing is how he confirms his word regardless. Now see, if I had to get you to have faith, in it, then I would have to preach what you had to have faith in before you could get it. But since I'm not relying on your faith, I'm relying on God to keep his word. And because I rely on him to keep his word, then he will confirm his word with signs following because we preach his word. And the way the signs that follow many times is physical healing, even emotional healing, and you know, every aspect of your body, mental healing, all those areas. Uh, believe it or not, there's even financial healing. Amen. <laughs> Thank God for financial healing in these days, right? See, today you got to believe in prosperity just to drive your car to work every day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> last gas station we pulled up at had a loan officer there, so I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> All right, so, in, uh, yeah. In Hebrews, let me get there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. What's he saying? Don't let anything slip. Remind yourself, go into it, be doing it. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also, bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angels, now listen, here's where we get into this. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. He said, I, he, said he didn't give this world even the world to come. He didn't give it to angels. He said, but one in a certain place testified saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And where is that? Psalm 8. We just read it. Or the son of man that you visit him. You made him a little lower than Elohim, as we would say. You crowned him with glory and honor. And did set him over the works of your hand. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now 
we see not yet all things put under him. Now, that's, that's, that's big. He said everything isn't under him yet. In other words, everything, we don't see everything under his feet. Everything has not submitted to Jesus Christ. But he said he left nothing that wasn't subjected to Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? You know what that means? That means that Jesus has a name above, above all names. That means his name is higher than anything that has a name. Isn't that right? And everything that has a name has to bow its knee, be put under his feet, right? If it has a name, it has to be put under the feet of Jesus. It has to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. That means the name of Jesus, and this isn't just words. This isn't some theological thing somewhere in the far future distant thing. This is now. Right now, everything is under Jesus' feet. And yet there are things that have not submitted and gone under his feet. And then in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, he says, And the very God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. So what is our job? Our job is to find all those things that are not yet under his feet and get them under there. Our job is to step on them. Amen? That's our job. Now, think about that. Now, look around at the world. What's wrong with the world? You say, what isn't? Okay. Well, guess what? It's our job to clean it up. It's our job to say, no, no. An outbreak of whatever? Uh, no, no. Under my feet. Under my feet. Why? Because my feet are his feet because I'm his body. I'm his body. Therefore, my feet are his feet. That means my hands are his hands. That means my mouth is his mouth. Is that right? Yes. And it says that we are to put, now watch, it even tells us that he is even now seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting, expecting, isn't that right? Until all his enemies are made his footstool. What does that mean? That his enemies have to go under his feet. But yet it's our job to put them there. That means whenever we hear that someone says, yes, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Oh, okay, well, here, let me put that under Jesus' feet for you. All right? See, for too long, the church, when they heard cancer, they heard HIV, they heard leukemia, they heard something, any, any disease, for too long, the church would go, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, let me, let me just tell you something. Remember when Jesus went to the blind man and they said, Lord, who did sin? Was it this man or was it his parents? Jesus said, neither. Get that out of your head. Don't worry about how it started. And now look at the mindset of Jesus. Okay, if you talk, there are some people that if you talk to them and you say, this happened, and it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, no matter, you know, you talk to them and you say this happened, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, well, the will of God be done. The will of God be done. Why? And they call that more or less fatalism, right? And they say, well, that was, that was obviously God's will. Well, why was it God's will? Well, because it happened. It must be God's will, okay? That's wrong thinking. If that were true, Jesus would not have told us, pray this way, thy will be done. Because he said, don't pray vain idle words. So he can't tell you to, if God's will is automatically going to be done, then it'd be vain and idle for us to pray that his will be done. And he told us not to pray that way. So that means, let me ask you this, is, every, is it God's will that everybody be saved? Yes. But it ain't all, everybody's not getting saved, isn't that right? So his will isn't always done. But it's our job to pray it. 
Amen? Do you get that? Now, have you seen where man has been brought to? Because Jesus came and Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. What are you to go and do? Put all this stuff under his feet. You don't, what did Jesus say about the, the man in John 9? He said, but that the works of God will be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. In other words, Jesus said, guess what? If this man's in front of me, you know what? I'm not looking at why this man was this way. What I'm looking at is this is my opportunity to accomplish God's will. That means if this man is in front of me, he's supposed to be healed. Now think about, imagine if you thought that way. Imagine if every story you went into, if there was a sick person coming across you and you looked at him and you go, glory to God, here's an opportunity to prove God's will. Instead of going, well, I feel sorry. I wish there was something I could do. No, there is something you can do. You can put that enemy of sickness and disease under the feet of Jesus. And the way you do it is you put it under your feet and you, you demand that it bow its knee. Amen? So, now... So what I want to do this morning, I want you to realize God has already said all things are put under Jesus' feet. Is that right? All things. Now you say all, what does that leave? Nothing. Amen? All. It's the biggest small word in the Bible. So right now, I want you to know, I don't care what you have. I don't care how you got it. I don't, I don't care how you got it. That, that makes no difference. I know where it originated from. It originated from Satan. If it's not right, if it's not healthy and healed and whole, it came from Satan. I don't care. And however you got it, it was just the way he got it to you. But he's the source. And all things have to be put under Jesus' feet. So this morning, I want you to at least just agree. If you can't, you know, believe, at least just agree and shift into neutral. But I want you to realize all things are under Jesus' feet. And whatever you've got has been a, re a, a rebel trying not to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, to that dominion he had. And now Jesus restored that dominion back to us and told us, now you go in my name and you exercise the dominion that I first gave Adam and now I've got it back. And so right now, I want you to realize what you have is under the feet of Jesus. And we're going to make it submit. Legally, it's already been put there. Now we're going to make it dynamically and vitally. In other words, in real life. Amen? So right now, just agree with me. Say this with me. Say, Father, your word is true. And I believe what I've heard today in the word of God. I agree and I enforce it in my life. And I receive from you healing, health, wholeness, freedom, in the name of Jesus. And I believe that by his stripes, my health, my wholeness, my freedom was purchased for me. And I receive it now in the name of Jesus. Pain, you must go. Sickness, you must go. Disease, you must go. Fear, you must go. Addiction, go in Jesus' name. And I receive my freedom by Jesus Christ, the Lord of all.
so be it. Amen. 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 All right. Amen. Amen. All right. Now. Now check your body. Check your body. Do what you couldn't do before. Do what you couldn't do before. Now if you notice anything has gone on in your body in the last few minutes that we've been talking just check it and see. And anything that's different now than it was a few minutes ago, just raise your hand and signify so we can glorify Jesus. Amen. There we go. There we go. Look at that right there. Amen. Amen. There we go. Amen. 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 The Bible says that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Guess who the kings are? that he's king of. That's us. Amen? Amen? And so he's king over us kings. I know bad, bad English, good theology. Okay? And, and he's Lord over us lords. Because the child, as long as the, the child, the heir is a child, he's different nothing from a servant, even though he be Lord of all. You have every bit of Jesus' authority available to you. You just got to start using it to put his enemies under his feet. It's not about you. It's Jesus's feet that you're making them bow to. Amen? Well, again, we thank you for having us here. We, we bless you. And we say in the name of Jesus, be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Pastor. Okay. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.